All right. Hey, look at that. Let there be sound. That is great. All right. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. You guys are getting so much better at that, at being friendly and meeting people. I'm proud of you. You guys are growing in that. That is awesome. Um, hey, do me a favor. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you could follow along with us. Uh, but 1 Kings 19 also, if you're just like super diligent and want to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and be in 1 Corinthians 9, we'll be in a lot of places today. But 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll start off there. Again, welcome. I am so glad you guys are here with us, uh, with us this morning. Uh, it is good to be with you guys. Um, I do want to share something a little personal, uh, kind of give you guys an update, um, because many of you asked. I know many of you have been praying. Many of you might not know, but I just want to share with you a little bit. Um, for the last four years, my mother-in-law has been walking through um, stage four brain, liver, and lung cancer. And uh, about 10 days ago, we got a, a phone call or text. Uh, last Saturday, we got a text saying, hey, please um, rush out to California. So last Sunday after church was over, we flew out to California. We got back in last night about 11 p.m. So if I'm a little out of it and say things are incoherent, please forgive me. Um, but we got to spend like the last five or six days just with her. And um, she is in hospice. She's at home. A lot of family flew in. A lot of people are driving in. Um, it was great to be with her. I just want to say thank you for your prayers. Uh, I know we've gotten some text messages from you guys, and uh, we just, I felt like it'd be necessary just to kind of update you on that, and um, we did get to just pray with her, talk with her, you know, tell her how much we love her. Uh, there were times where she was, m you know, more aware than others. She got to look at her, her grandkids, our, our nine-month-old, uh, her four-year-old, our four-year-old, her four-year-old grandson, just, you know, hold them or rub their head, and it was very sweet. So we're thankful for the Lord for that. Uh, just keep my wife and her family in prayer. Obviously, it's, I know many of you have walked through something similar, and it's, it's just kind of bizarre. It's hard to navigate. Um, you know, it's for us, the first parent to pass away, and so we're just walking through that, but let me just say this. God has been so faithful in this way where she loves the Lord. She's a follower of Jesus. Her two kids love the Lord. Her five grandkids, well, I can't speak for the four-year-old and nine-month-old, really, but her five grandkids, you know, know the Lord, and uh, it is cool to just see just the other generations walk with Jesus. Uh, so we're very thankful for her life, and it's, um, yeah, we're just blessed. We're happy. We're celebrating because we know that um, for her, there's that sense now her body will be healed. Um, so we have that hope that does not fail, and uh, we just want to say thank you for you guys for your prayers. This really is a family for us. This really is a community for us, and um, so we just really appreciate and want to kind of update you guys just in case you had questions or texts. We kind of had a lot of that, so we just want to more share it in that light. So thank you. We love you guys. We love her. We love... Um, just the fact that God's been so faithful in her life. Uh, so that's that. Uh, let me kind of just fill you in. We're in 1 Kings 19. Uh, we're in the middle of a series on spiritual formation. And like, what is that? We're trying to answer this question of how do we grow? How do we mature? How do we actually be transformed by the word of God? Not just read it. How do we actually become more like Jesus? So we're trying to answer that question because we, I, I think all of us can be guilty of reading the Bible for information rather than reading it for the sake of God, transform me, make me more like your son, Jesus. I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. Amen, right? That is the hope. We want to be doers of the word of God. And so we're trying to do this series in a sense to answer the question of how, because maybe we don't always answer that question, but how, how do we become more like Jesus? How do we change? How do we transform? So we're doing this series in a sense, just to look at spiritual disciplines. Uh, maybe you've heard this a lot and maybe not, but spiritual formation, we've defined it as being formed by the Holy Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. The Holy Spirit is taking the word of God and just the disciplines that God has given us to transform us and make us more like the person of Jesus. So if you walk through this, we've talked about meditation on the word of God, silence, solitude. We've talked about serving, Sabbath. We've kind of looked at different things. Our hope is like, let's take on these rhythms of grace. Let's take on these rhythms that Jesus has given us, that the word of God has given us. Let's apply it to our lives for the sake of spiritual health and growth. Amen? I hope you've been blessed by that. I hope you've taken on some of our practices. We're talk talking about practicing the way of Jesus, and every week we end with a practice. And it's not to give you a list of things to do, but we say we want to practice these things so we can become more like it. We practice things in life to get better at them. So we're trying to take on these Christian practices. Does that make sense? This, yeah? Cool. So last week we looked at servanthood. We talked about how Jesus was the, he came to serve and not be served. And we, we looked at that. So every week we're looking at something different. This week is a little bit different. 
this week will be very unique. Even in my study and preparation, it's been kind of fun and bizarre. And at moments, um, you kind of see like the pain of it and the beauty of it. Here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about the body. And here's kind of the big idea. Um, stewarding our body for spiritual growth. Stewarding our body for spiritual growth. This is the practice we want to take on. Now, let me just say this. Um, some of these things are out of control. Obviously, as you know, we can't always control what happens to us. We can't control how the outcome might play out. But the Bible does talk a lot about the body. In my study, I was honestly amazed, kind of like, yes, God does talk a lot about our body, what, what it is, how to use it, why we use it, what's the purpose of the body, why did God give us this vessel that eventually is broken down and redeemed and resurrected, and what is this? So we want to just look at the big picture of the body. Because we're going to see that really there's not this disconnect like we so often think between our body life and our spiritual life. They're actually highly connected. And I really do hope that this will be uh, something very unique that we can maybe take on some practices like that are associated with this, like fasting, like abstaining. We'll talk more about this, but that will actually shape who we are and how we follow Jesus. So here's, here's this. I want to throw this out there to you. Uh, someone who, who writes a lot about spiritual disciplines, her name's Ruth Haley Barton. She said this, the spiritual discipline of honoring the body helps us find our way between the excesses of a culture that glorifies and objectifies the body and the excesses of Christian tradition that have often denigrated and ignored the body. We'll look at more of this, but I do think there's two extremes. I think that we can either objectify, glorify the body. Obviously, we live in South Florida. We see that happen a lot. Or we can maybe disregard it, mistreat it, misuse it, neglect it. And we got to talk about just this idea of stewardship. That stewardship, God has given us things that are not ours to manage, right? God has given us a lot of different things in life. Finances, time, relationships. They're not really ours. They're really his to manage it and use it for him. Our body is one of those things. That this is not really mine. It's me, but it's not really mine. And this is something we want to give over to God uh, for his glory. Amen? So this will be unique, and I really hope that God will bring clarity on some things, and also the, a hope, a hope because our body will fail. Our, our body will fall apart. But we also believe in the resurrection of the body. Amen? So there's not a lot of verses today, so you get ready to turn and flip and take some notes, please. And, uh, but I'm just going to read one verse. I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll pray. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I just want to read it to you. This is Paul's, like, benediction. It's his blessing over this church in Thessalonia. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Amen? Let's pray. Amen. That's pretty bad. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for the fact that you've created us God, you've made man out of dust and you breathe life into him. God, we thank you just for the fact that we have breath, we have a body, we have these things that you've given us. We, we want to understand, God, what is the purpose and why and how to use it. And, and also, Lord, we know that sin plagues everything. And we also thank you, Jesus, that you've come to redeem everything. And so, Lord, I just pray, I just ask that as we talk about this topic, we're really a lot of the, the disciplines that we've been going over take place in this vessel, in this body. Um, God, we just want to be better stewards. We want to be better understanders, better people of hope. Hope that um, though this fails, Jesus, we know that we will have a new, resurrected, glorified body. We thank you for that. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. I want to share a quote with you guys. One author wrote this, human personality is not separable in our consciousness from the human body. What is that? Simply put is this, um, our bodies shape who we are. Our bodies shape our identity. They shape our personality. I really want you to think about this. My body, what I look like, my height, my it kind of shapes my personality, who I am in life. So often just in just different categories. A lot of psychologists will write about this, how your body the height, the, the, your, wit, your weight, your hair color, your skin color, it will shape your personality in many, many ways, right? My brother, I don't see my brother a lot. He saw me and he saw my ginger beard and he was just so weirded out. He's like, you have a ginger beard. I'm like, I know. 
He's like, where'd you get it? I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, no one in our family has ginger. I'm like, I don't know. Mom's adopted. Maybe that's how. I don't, we have no idea. I have a ginger beard. He has a black like, beard. His, his looks cooler. Uh, but I have a ginger beard. And, and a lot of that, I get ginger jokes a lot. And I, it shapes me, right? It shapes who I am. I can make ginger jokes because I have a ginger beard. Um, but it just shapes our personality in a lot of different ways. Uh, in high school, I've, I mentioned this. But I had a buddy who was seven feet tall. We played basketball together. But he was one of three seven-footers in Orange County in high school. By his junior year of high school, he was seven feet tall. And I mean, he was just so un comfortable in his body, right? He looked, just looked like a walking praying mantis. Um, it's bizarre. It's just fun to like watch him, and it just shaped his personality. We would joke with him a lot about his height. He would take things from us and hold it above his our head and like couldn't get it. I mean, it's just weird to be around. Like a, He literally had a shirt. We'd go to the mall and say, like, yes, I am seven feet tall. Please don't ask how tall I am. It probably got very frustrating, right? He literally had a, a bed, you know, made specially for his height. Like, there's just so many things that shaped him because of his height. Obviously, even think about this. He took in reality differently. I mean, at seven feet tall, how he perceived life is a lot different than somebody who's four foot tall, right? He would just see life differently. He had a different perspective on things because of his body. Our body really does shape who we are. Um, you guys know a couple weeks ago, we got to go to Israel with a group of pastors to just, they, uh, uh, this organization blessed us with this trip. So I was with five other pastors, got to know them really well. There's one guy named Anthony who loved this guy, became a good friend. He was a bigger guy. And the whole trip, he's just talking about how big he was, and he was a big guy. And it kind of climaxed where at the end of the trip, the last ever trip, he got stuck in a turnstile, or turnstop, whatever that's called. He was trying to like get out, and he got sick, guys, I'm stuck, and he was legitimately stuck. Uh, and we didn't have to even say a thing. He just made fun of himself for the rest of the day. It, it was great. It just shapes his personality. Comedians talk about their height, their weight. It just shapes who we are. And I want us to think about that. God has given you a body, and that shapes your personality in many ways. It might shape you emotionally. It shapes us spiritually. I don't know if we factor the ways that our body influences our life. Dallas Willard, who's just kind of like the elite writer on spiritual disciplines, says this, uh, just so you can kind of cap- understand this idea. He says, my body, listen, my body is the original and primary place of my dominion and my responsibility. It is only through my body that I have a world in which to live. My life experiences come to me through or in conjunction with my body. Thus, my parents uh, and my date and place of birth are bodily realities that are foundational to who I am. It is only with and through my body that I receive a place in time and space and human history. Through it, I am given a family, a gender, a language, and national culture, and a set of talents along with opportunities to use them. So good. I, I don't know if we've really factored in how much this body that God has given us Uh, The book of Acts talks about how you and I were placed in a certain place in the world and time in the world by God's providence, by God's sovereignty. We are the way we are because God designed it that way. So let me just say this. Um, I think sometimes in the church we might actually be tempted to lower the body. You know, there's a quote that was floating around. I want to call it out because it's not true. That C.S. Lewis said this. It's not, he didn't say this, but maybe you've shared this. I thought this was him. Uh, This quote was said, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And that was attributed to C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've seen that. Uh, You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Let me just say this. C.S. Lewis did not say that. That's not in his writings. I don't think he'd fully even agree to that. Here's how the Bible puts it. You are a body and you are a soul. The, The idea is not that you're one or the other. That the body is not necessarily bad or evil. There's actually an old belief that I think has still influenced the church called Gnosticism. Maybe you've heard of that. I'm going to kind of make it the simple version of it. Gnosticism would say that anything evil or material, or anything material or physical is evil. If it's physical, if it's material, it's not good, it's evil, but the spiritual is all that matters. So a lot of Gnostics would actually do a lot of sinful things with their body because it didn't really matter. And they say all that matters is your spirit. And I think in some ways that maybe this is kind of infiltrated into the church where we go, oh, all that matters is the spiritual. The body doesn't really matter. When the Bible says all of the earth is the Lord's, everything in it. It's not that one is sacred, one is secular. All of it's God's. So we've got to understand that there's not this big disconnect between our body and our spirit. There is a difference, but they're all God's. It's, it's who we are. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be tempted to lower it is what I'm trying to get at. So here's what I want to talk about today. There's four thoughts that I want like big thoughts that we see in the Bible about our body. Here's just the thoughts we're going to walk through today. Number one is this. God cares about your body. God cares about your body. Number two, God dwells in our body. Number three, God calls us to discipline our body and its desires. Number four, God will resurrect our bodies. Some big thoughts about the body. And this is so important as we're talking about spiritual disciplines, as we're talking about growing in faith, growing in maturity. 
Again, there's not that these two things, the body and the spirit, are at odds with each other. They complement each other. We should care about both. So let's look at number one, all right? And don't, don't lose this. Number one, God cares about our body. Some of you need to hear that. I think I need to hear that. God cares about our body. God cares about how we work, things that are off. God just cares about us. Um, there's many verses. I'm going to throw a couple out at you, some that you know very well. But one is Psalm 139. Listen to this. Uh, the psalmist writes, God, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Isaiah 44, thus is the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the, ro- the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things. Let's just start with this. God obviously made your body, designed your body, so obviously he cares for your body. We're told in Genesis 1:27 that God made us male and female from the very beginning, that we are made in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. I believe every body, every life has just value to it. Why? Because they're an image bearer of God. There's something about, I can appreciate any person, any culture, any civilization, you, brother or sister, everyone's made in the image of God. This idea that God has made us male and female, as Jesus even said in, in Matthew 19, from the very beginning, don't you know that God made them male and female? God made sex, our sexuality. I think so often we, we fight our sexuality, we fight our sex, or we don't fully embrace it because we're really fighting our creator, really fighting how God made us. I want us to understand that God made you the way you are because God is sovereign. He's good. He's not that he messed up. It's not that he blew it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think sometimes this always doesn't translate uh, to us. One author wrote it this way. She wrote, the Christian practice of honoring the body is born of the confidence that our bodies are made in the image of God's own goodness. As the place where the divine presence dwells, our bodies are worthy of care and blessing. It is through our bodies that we participate in God's activity in the world. It's through our bodies that we participate in God's activity in the world. That we're made in God's image, that our body was meant to be used for good, it's meant to be used for God. So there's value. God cares about our body. Now, I'm I'm sharing all this because there is a story, I think, that really explains this well. And we do talk about soul care a lot. And this is kind of like, hey, body care. All right, it's 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want, please turn there. We're going to read this story in just a second, but 1 Kings 19. Let me just kind of set the story for you. This really is a key story. Uh, But you guys know the story of Elijah. Maybe, maybe not. Let me kind of share the context. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there is a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Maybe you remember is Elijah by himself against 450 prophets that worshiped a God named Baal. And finally, there's kind of this showdown that says, you know what, let's just see which God is real. Is it the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or is it the God of Baal? Let's see which God's real. And if you remember, this, they had this like sacrifice thing that they wanted to happen. It's, all right, we're going to ha- put the sacrifice in the altar, and we're going to call upon our God to call down fire from heaven. And if your God responds, we'll say that your God is the true God. If our God responds, we'll say our God's the true God. And if you remember, the prophets of Baal are crying out. They're screaming. They start cutting themselves. Elijah starts mocking them. He's like, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on the toilet. He's literally just throwing mocks at them, if you remember. And it is fascinating. They think that if I hurt my body, maybe God will respond. What a pagan, it is like a pagan thought. If I cut myself, maybe God will listen. And here we see with Jesus, he was cut, he was pierced, so we would listen, so we would hear. It's not that we have to cut ourselves to get God's attention. God was cut for our attention. And we see this difference, but they're cutting themselves, they're crying out, and then Elijah's making jokes, and then Elijah's like, okay, my turn. And there's a, remember, there's a drought in the land. He goes, you know what, there's a drought in the land, but let's get water, and let's just pour it on the sacrifice. Let's make it harder. They pour a lot of water around it, and then fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, right? And, and Elijah essentially has this victory. The prophets of Baal are actually executed. King Ahab is, you know, frantic. There's a drought in the land. Elijah prays for rain. Rain comes down finally after years of a drought. I mean, it's just an amazing miracle, this spiritual high, and after the spiritual high comes a spiritual low. And that is so like the Christian faith. They have this great spiritual high, and then here comes the spiritual low. It's 1 Kings 19. Let's read verse 1. It says, after this, Ahab, he told Jezebel, the infamous Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, also how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, one of the prophets, by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw, when he saw that, when he heard that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba 
which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, far as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. All right, so here's the story. This great victory, calls on fire from heaven, rain's happening. Jezebel, this woman, threatens him. He goes, I wish I was dead, right? Just kind of an emotional mess all over the place. He said, God, take my life. He flees, he runs into the wilderness. And what does he do? He takes a nap, and he sleeps. And the angel wakes him up and says, eat. Eat some bread, drink some water. He does, he sleeps. The angel wakes him up, eats some bread, drinks some water, and he sleeps. What does he do? He sleeps, eats, hydrates, repeats. Sleeps, eats, hydrates, repeats. He got to the point where he was just so emotionally and spiritually drained. He's like, I can't go on. I, I want to die. And he got to the point where it's, it was so bad, God has to send an angel to strengthen him. I hope we never get to that point where it's so bad. He was like, let me send an angel to strengthen you. But it gets pretty bad. And here's what I want us to see, because I don't know if we always consider this. Sometimes in our spiritual life and our spiritual growth, what we might need most is a nap. All right? I want that to be a little bit shocking. What you might need most at times, and this is okay, and I think the church, we need to hear this. You might need rest. You might need sleep. You might need a good day just to actually have a good meal, to hydrate, to sleep. Actually, I do want you to hear this, because God does care about our body. I know for some reason we might think this is unspiritual. I know sometimes we might actually like kind of separate the two. But God cares about your rest. God cares about you in that way, in that light. Sometimes you, you and I do need, like I've, maybe your mom of kids, and you're like, yes, this is what I want. This passage is for me today, <laughs> right? This is for all for me. I, I need to hear this. I'm in a unique season of just traveling a lot. I'm tired. I feel like I'm selfishly sharing this. Like, yeah, I need a nap after this, right? See, here's, here's kind of the idea. When you're, when you're out of it, emotionally, spiritually, when you're kind of drained, when people say, I burned out, not a lot of times you'll find that person in their bedroom alone saying, God, fill me with the Spirit. God, use me. Here's my body. Take all of me, God. Usually when they're drained, they're, that's not coming out of their mouth. Why? Because they just need rest. And some, sometimes at different points in your life, what you might need most is how you just are resting, how you're just taking in not just soul care, body care. And I don't want this to be like, this. Is, can I tell you, we just talked about serving all last week, and you're like, probably felt like, oh, I got to serve. Listen, sometimes also God wants you to rest. That's okay. I really do want us to hear this because we might fight this. If you're a doer, if you're someone who loves to get things done, this is very hard for your nature, but God might be calling you to rest a little bit. I genuinely want you to not just like dismiss this. I was like, this is such a physical thing. Yeah, I know. This is not like God separates again the physical from the spiritual. This is so good for us. This is so good for me. We need to hear this. We need to take this in. Can I tell you there's a verse in Psalm 127? It says, he gives his beloved sleep. Sometimes I think about that when I can't sleep. I'm like, come on, God. <laughs> like, but he gives his beloved sleep. It's okay for there to be rest in this way. You know, 1 Timothy 4, it's a verse you might know, but it says, a bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness profits all things. Here's the thing. Yes, the goal is godliness. The goal is to grow in our, our maturity, to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk with Jesus. And sometimes to get there, you got to take care of that bodily side. Sometimes for there to be spiritual growth, there needs to be bodily health, taking stewardship of that. And I will get to certain things, and I know that some of you are thinking, but what about the things that are out of your control? I understand. We'll talk about that. But there's some, sometimes we go, God, maybe right now what I need is to rest and to rest in who you are and what you've done. So here's the idea, church. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Can we just get an amen after that one? That one's good. Whether, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all the glory of God. Sometimes you might just go, God, I want to eat, I want to drink, I want to enjoy these physical things for your glory, for there to be spiritual health and life again. There's a time and place to take care of your body. So I don't know, some of the best mentors I've had in my life will ask these questions. They'll say, Josiah, tell me about your sleep life. What time are you going to bed? What time do you wake up? Are you working out? Are you eating right? Sometimes those questions really do lead to my emotional and spiritual health. Do we get that? They're not this complete separate thing. Sometimes you need to be asked those questions. 
before maybe you kind of get to this, what we might consider the spiritual side, something going, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you, are you drinking? What are you doing that's causing harm to your body? Maybe that's hurting. Maybe that's slowing you down spiritually. And God is saying, I want you to be aware of this. It's Daniel, right, who says, no, we're not going to eat the king's food. We're going to have vegetable. We're going to do this. Why? For the sake of just health. There might be a season of that, and that is good, and that is okay. And I'm just trying to remind our church of that. Can I tell you this? Number one, God cares about your body. You need to know that. God cares about your body in many different lights, in many different forms. But number two is this. Listen, God dwells in our body. And I don't want you to miss this. God dwells. In our, do we understand that? Do you really believe that? If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now has taken residence in you. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. All right, 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to read it. I want you to know the context. I want you to see a big picture of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 12. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Turn there. I want to hear Bibles turning, unless you're on your phone, but I, I don't like it. So turn, like, let me hear the pages. So I know you're there. You go, yeah, thanks, buddy. All right, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to this. We're going to read this section. Paul is addressing certain cultural slogans of the day. And he's actually replacing it with truth. So here's what Paul says. First, first Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me. This was like a slogan of their day. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, they would say. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. But he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord, listen, the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For, he says, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee, here's the only command, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have uh, from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. Man, this is a powerful text. I, we could like camp in here all day. Uh, let me just hear a couple things. The church at Corinth and the church in South Florida, I think, is very similar. So Corinth in its day, it was a port city, wealthy city. It's like, it on like the, the beach, essentially. Uh, people would stop by, merchants would stop by, a lot of commerce would stop by. Uh, they used to have different temples dedicated to different gods. One thing that was very popular, popular there, and you can see it and go to Greece and go to Corinth, and they'll, t- they'll, t- they'll still talk about it, but there's a temple dedicated to the goddess of sex. They had temple prostitutes that would go into the city, and they'd sleep with men as an act of worship, right? But there's a lot of different worldviews, a lot of different beliefs, just like South Florida, very wealthy, populated city, uh, a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different cultures that come in. You could say an import-export kind of city, just like, just like Corinth. And very similar in what they valued and what they loved and what they cherished, that more that sexual bent and that lifestyle. There's a lot of similarities you could point out, and we could get into that more later. But here, here's the idea. There were slogans of their day. They would say, all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want with my body. It's no one else's, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with my body. They'd also say, hey, just like the stomach was made for food and food was made for stomach, so my body has a sexual appetite, I'm going to give in to it. I mean, I think these are two popular slogans then and still today. I mean, can we agree? One is, I can do whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. They think, we still think for some reason that freedom is I can do whatever I want. And usually freedom when you do, to do whatever you want makes you a slave to everything. And for some reason we confuse freedom with I can do whatever I want. But it's obviously not the case. Next, we see this idea that not just all things, but my, I was made for this. My stomach was made for food. Food was made for my stomach. And so we'll teach still in educations and in schools and in just anywhere you go. People say, hey, if you have a sexual appetite, just fulfill it. You want to do something that's a need, just like you're hungry, just like you're thirsty. So you're sexually, you have a desire, just give into it. Popular beliefs of their day. Paul is saying, let me call these beliefs and let me now introduce you something else. He goes, so here's the question. Is your body yours? Is your body yours? Your body is you but is your body yours? And he says, no. Your body is members of Christ. And then he says this, do you not know that you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Do you not know that you are not your own? 
that God gave the most precious thing he had for you, and that is his son Jesus, that God offered Jesus for our body, that his body was offered up for our body. He says, don't you know this? Aren't you aware of this? And there's a really interesting question and statement that I want you guys, I know we've heard this before, but church, can we really think about how powerful this is? He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I want you to think about from a Jew's perspective what the temple was. There is nothing more holy, nothing better than the temple. The temples where God met with humanity, the temples where they came to worship, that's where they came to experience God, to know God, to hear from God, to worship God. The temple was everything. Even to, not even a Jew, but to a pagan. They had their temples and that was in their way of meeting with their gods. And Paul's saying, do you not see that your body now is the dwelling place of God? God meets you where you're at. God dwells in you. Our body is a vehicle to experience God, to hear from God, to worship God. Our body is not God, but God dwells in our body. That you and I meet with God, not in some disembodied thing. Do we get that? We don't meet with God in some disembodied thing happening, but we have God, encounters with God just in our body. God dwells in us and lives in us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's, a fascinating, it's, a, it's amazing. I don't know if I fully understand. Do we get this, church? Do you get how valuable you are? Do you get how God says, I've decided now to take residence in you? I used to dwell in temples made with hands, but now I dwell in you. I live in you. Again, here's what one author wrote about this. Uh, in some unexplainable way, God inhabits our bodies, making them a place where we can meet and know him. That now you and I can have this, just this intimacy with God because God dwells in us. I, I, this is something that I still have to kind of give myself over to when I pray and go, God, I cannot believe you, you decide to dwell in me. I can't believe you decide to take residence in me. And so here's Paul's point. Do you not say that God dwells in you? So what does he say? Here's the one command, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. God dwells in your body. Do not give your body to anything else. Only give your body to God's because it's God's. Run from this. Flee from this. This word sexual morality, this word pornea, it's kind of this junk drawer word where it could just mean any sort of sexual experience, encounter. It can refer to pornography. It can refer to sex outside of marriage. It can refer to just sexual acts in general. It doesn't have to be physically sex. It could be just sexual things. It's a really broad word used to describe, are you getting sexually stimulated from someone outside of your spouse? He goes, flee that. Run from that. This reminds me of Joseph, because Joseph literally did this. It's when Potiphar's wife, his boss's wife, goes, Joseph. Remember in the book of Genesis, he's a handsome young man, it says. She goes, Joseph, sleep with me. He goes, I can't sin against God, and I can't sin against your husband. Sleep with me. She grabs his robe, and he like twists out and runs away. says he flees naked. See, that, that is what I have in mind of this one. It's like, run from this. At all costs, run from this. There literally will be times where you maybe need to run from this. Men and women both, this is not just a male struggle only. But this is something that both genders obviously struggle with. Whether it is pornography, whether it is trying to meet up with someone, while it's trying to go on an app and hook up with someone. I mean, we still see this happen. And this is not, Paul's saying this to the church. He's not naive to think that the church doesn't struggle with sexual morality. So let me write to the church about this. He's saying your body was bought at a price. This is God's. Glorify God in your body and your spirit. They're his. Church, if there's something we can get about our body is this. Um, if you're engaging in any sort of form that's sexually immoral, flee. That is the one command, flee. This is not your body. It's you, it's not your body. Your body belongs to God. God bought you at a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Fight for this church. He goes, don't you know that when you join yourself with someone else other than your spouse, what you're joining God with, do you not see that you're sinning against your own body? Do you not see how the pain this brings? You might say it's an innocent crime, no one knows, it's not hurting anyone, and yet it's funding or just a huge sex industry or sex trafficking, but you're online, you go, it's not hurting anyone, but it's hurting many, many people. It's shaping how you view sex. I'm bringing all this up because culture loves to downplay our sex and our sexuality, and God says it is so valuable. It is something that God loves and redeems, and he made us male and female in his image, and this is a beautiful thing. Sex should not be shamed. It's a beautiful thing. It should be used in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. God is saying, this is how I've designed you. This is how I made you. Run from anything that's not this. God's not naive to think that we don't struggle with these things. He's not naive to think that this might not be an issue with any of us. I, obviously, we know that there's grace and redemption in this, but this is something we must practice, and we must flee from this. I would love to see the church thrive in this area. I would love to see purity happen within the church in a way that maybe we haven't seen in decades. 
but this is something maybe that I think still infiltrates the church. Here's what I'm trying to bring up today, right now in this moment. There's a tendency to either idolize the human body or demonize the human body. What we can do is we can idolize the body. You can idolize your body, right? You can look in the mirror 24-7, flex a little bit, show the spec. You can just idolize other people's bodies. You can actually demonize it, where you maybe disregard it, neglect it. You don't understand the value of it. And the Bible says, no, no, steward it. Honor God in it. There's another option, not to idolize, not to demonize, but steward it. It is not, body is not God, the body is not gross, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. That we're just steward for him and for his glory. Amen? Yes, church, amen? This is going to be so key for our spiritual health. I want to share with you this verse, and I know you know it, but we're talking about how God dwells in the bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal, I beg you, listen, Romans 12, 1, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's hear that again. Maybe you've heard like reasonable service. Yes, it's true. But he goes, I I beg you guys, offer your bodies to God as just a living sacrifice, saying, God, here's my body. I love this because Paul doesn't ask us to do something that Jesus first didn't do. Do that Jesus first gave his body as a living sacrifice and as a sacrifice? See, God doesn't say, do something that I'm not willing to do. God did this first. God took on a body and offered up his body for us. And he says, I beg you in light of that. I beg you, offer up your body now as a living sacrifice. I think it's an interesting play on words because living sacrifice don't really go together, right? Because the sacrifice is dead. You know, you, you have a sacrifice to kill it. But he's like, no, no, I want your body to be alive to Christ. And that's interesting to me. I, I love that, that thought. Because it's not just, I want it to, I, I want my body, it's easy sometimes, I think, in the church to talk about how, like, I would die for Jesus. It's a lot harder to live for Jesus. It's a lot harder to say, I'm going to live for him every moment of the day. I'm going to be a living sacrifice to God. Again, can I tell you this? The, in the, back in the day, you'd offer sacrifices. Why? To be right with God, to be good with God, so God would be good to you. It's like, oh, no, we want to be safe, and we want to maybe travel to a certain part of the world. We'll make a sacrifice so God will protect us or keep us safe. Paul's saying, you don't offer your bodies a sacrifice for God to be good to you. God's already good to you, so you offer your bodies a sacrifice. It's not, I'm going to offer this sacrifice, so maybe God will be good to me. God's already good to us. This is not some sort of pagan thing. It's like, I'm living, I, God, you've already been good. You've already done it all. I want my body now to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to offer all of me to you. So think about this. Is all of your body gods, your eyes, your ears, what you hear, what you take in, every body part, your hands, your feet, are you using it to glorify God? Is it all God's? So right now, obviously, I maybe you maybe know this. I might mention this. I have a nine-month-old, um, <laughs> and I love to hold her and walk around and just feel her feet and feel her hands. And something I'm doing is I like to pray over her body. I will rub my hands over her eyes and be like, God, protect her eyes, what she sees, what she takes in. I will feel her ears and say, God, let her hear your word and walk in faith. Let her be, let her be one who loves the word of God. I'll cu- wa- rub my fingers over her mouth, her lips, and say, God, let her mouth just speak life. Let, she, let her be someone who exhorts and encourages and blesses others. I'll do the same thing with her feet and say, God, let her walk with you. Let her be someone who, who shares the gospel wherever she goes. Grab her hands. God, let her hands serve you. And I'm not just saying this. This is something I do. I'll do I did it for my son when he was a baby. Now I can't hold him for more than a second because he just wiggles everywhere. I'm like, all right, I'll put you down. I'll just pray for you from afar. Um, but it is, it is something we'll try to do. It's something I want to offer to God. My body is a living sacrifice. Myself, my children. Like, it's God, I want to be alive to you, completely alive to you. Listen, God dwells in our body. We cannot under, underplay how important this is. Your body is valuable because God dwells in it. Because God redeemed it. Because God purchased it. It's so valuable. Now, not only that, think about this, by the way. This, we could talk more about this, but our body is used in worship because this is your spiritual worship. I want you to think about what your body language communicates. You guys all know this, and you don't have to take a class on this, but you could. Our body language communicates something. Like right now, some of you are looking at me with like your like, like eyes open. You're like listening well. Like it's so encouraging. Some of you are like, don't talk to me anymore. I, your body, body language communicates a lot, right? A lot. Our body language communicates a lot to God. I want you to think about that. How, what does our body language communicate to God? Really quick, just f- we'll, we'll show the verses up here. It's all in the Psalms, but you see this. It's okay to use your body to worship. Here's what I mean. Uh, it's Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Clapping, shouting. Oh, come, let us worship and say the words. Should be there. Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Some of you are like, why do they lift their hands when they worship? Why do they clap? This is weird. We're told to do this. This is the Psalms. I clap, kneel, bow down. You can do that. It's okay. Go in your room when you pray. Change how you pray. 
Maybe you sit in a chair always and you fall asleep. Maybe you lay down. Maybe you fall. But it's okay. Like use your, we use our body as a living sacrifice, as a way to worship. It's our spiritual worship. Our body language does communicate something. I'm going to move on. Listen to this. Number three, because I think it's important. God calls us to discipline our bodies and its desires. So God cares about your body. God dwells in your body. Listen, God says now discipline your body. Discipline your body, specifically your body and its desires. Can you turn over like one page to 1 Corinthians 9? 1 Corinthians 9. Got to read this with me. So key. The Bible has a lot to say about our body, right? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Again, a passage you might know. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. <clears throat> Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race, all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That means is self-controlled. If you're, if you're training or if you're competing, you're self-controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air. There's purpose. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Again, you might know this, but I love that Paul's a sports fan. He quotes different sports and competitions and different parts of the, of the epistles. But there was something in Corinth called the Isthmus Games. They're basically a step under the Olympic Games. It was a big deal in the city of Corinth, and they'd have these competitions. Uh, and Paul obviously was a fan or observed in some capacity. He's like, look, 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 look. You think they train hard? You think they put their body under you know, a lot of hard work, I more so. He goes, I discipline my body. I compete also to obtain a crown. You know, when I first started learning basketball and I, as a kid and trying to get better at basketball, um, I was very, and you might, maybe you tell, very uncoordinated. Um, it took me, I'd be in the gym about six to eight hours a day in high school, just training, learning certain moves. You do the same move hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Why? To train your body how to do one thing. My body wanted to go in one direction, but I'm trying to train it to do something else. I would do like a spin move and just fall over and over. And like I had to like train my body. I had to discipline my body so it could take that motion down. Here's the idea. Our body wants to go in one direction. And we're trying to train it to go in another direction. Our body wants to go in one direction away from God, apart from God. And, and we're trying to bring our body into this idea of self-control to train it to go into another direction. Not away from God, but towards God. You follow me? This is so important. The idea was why. Why do you train so hard? Like, what was the purpose? Paul said they want to obtain a crown, but I an imperishable crown. They're working for something that will fade away. We're working for something that will never fade away. See, Paul's saying I, I'm self-controlled and disciplined because I have the prize in mind. The prize was not that one day he can get heaven. He had that. He goes, first of all, in verse 27, I discipline my body and bring it to subjection because I don't want to be disqualified. When, when I preach... When I tell others about, I don't want to be found disqualified. I want to live it out first and foremost. I believe elsewhere, as Paul describes it, he's like, I just want other people to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus. Why do we train? Why do we pray? Why do we serve? Why do we fast? Why do we give? Why do we do what we do so people can know Jesus and walk with Jesus? Why do we train so hard? We want to see people walking with Jesus. Paul's like, I put my body, I discipline it in this way because I want to experience Jesus. I want to not be disqualified when I preach the gospel. Church, listen. If you're an athlete, maybe you get this. If you're some sort of other form of an athlete, I don't know, a computer athlete, whatever that means. I don't know. Whatever this might look like for you, think about this. You will say no to a lot of things for the greater thing. Athletes will say no to whether it's ice cream, the dessert, that extra meal, whatever. That's very hard for me to do that. But they'll say no to things because they have something greater in mind. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're saying no to things because we have something greater in mind. We're saying, I, I'm going to say no to my flesh for the sake of my spirit. So let me give you two things really quick, guys, really quick. Number one, because we're not going to do a teaching on this. It's isolated, but I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting, of discipline I know you all love. Um, this is something I felt convicted on more recently. I think sometimes we can act like we graduated from this discipline. What is fasting? Uh, fasting is really abstaining from food and drinks other than water for the sake of just hearing from the Lord, enjoying the Lord, serving the Lord, Isaiah 58. If you want to read more about fasting, read Isaiah chapter 58. I want to give you one idea really quick. If you've ever fasted for more than a day or whatever this might look like, here's what's happening. Um, for more than a meal, your body starts crying out, feed me, right? When I'm fasting, everything looks good. Like everything looks really good. Like things like broccoli looks good. All right, when I'm fasting, everything looks really good to me. So here's what happens. Your body's crying out, feed me. And here's what you're telling your body. You're saying, no body, you don't control me. I control you. This urge is saying, give in to this. You want this. And you're saying, no, I know how to say no to my flesh and say yes to my spirit. 
So you're basically saying no to one thing for something greater. You're turning down, you're trying to show your flesh who's boss. Your flesh is crying out, you're like, no, you don't control me, flesh, I control you. And you see that spiritually. When your flesh is saying, click on that website, go with that person, do this thing, drink, whatever it is, you're saying, no, you don't control me, I control you. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who make a sad face, who try to have, you know, people recognize it, they, they, they have the reward. But I love the phrase, he goes, when you, fa- when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, it's like expected. It's a part of our life. I, I do, I really do believe, so it's like, how do we discipline our body fast? If you're struggling right now with the sin that's just overwhelming you, overtaking you, fast. Fast physically from food, fast from that thing, replace it with the word of God, with prayer, with spiritual disciplines. Fast. I'm going to leave it at that. Number two I want to say is this, abstain. There's a verse in 1 Peter 2.11, it says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Listen, there's a war right now for your soul. Right now, in every seat, there's a war for your soul. And there's this word from Peter, he says, abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts. For me, this can take different forms, right? You go, I've conquered this thing, and it kind of transforms into something else. Like now it's like not this sin, but it's Netflix, right? Or maybe it's now, dare I say, Disney Plus, yeah. See, sometimes it just takes different forms, and you go, I just let six hours go by, and now I have to go to work. What ha- you know, you're like, don't even know what happened in your life. Um, he goes, maybe this is overwhelming you. Maybe this is taken away from your walk with God. Abstain. I do want to bring up something that might be touchy, alcohol. You know, here's what I say. There, the Bible does talk about there's this freedom to drink. I, I do believe that Christians can have alcohol to some capacity. Obviously, the Bible says do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So no one's ever to get drunk with alcohol. When you see yourself get to that place, I, I would repent. I, talk, I would read Galatians 5 and be like, you know what? I don't want to be a drunkard because it doesn't say good things about that. So I would make sure that this is not overtaking you, but maybe you go, no, no, it's not, it's, I'm not an alcoholic. I just kind of like to do it here and I like the buzz feeling. I would encourage you guys to abstain. I'm going to ask that you'd abstain 10 days. Just maybe you find yourself, maybe you think, if it's, you think it's not an issue, if you think that it might be an issue. I would say just like, can you show your flesh, hey, you don't control me, I control you. I'm not trying to say this, this makes you a better Christian. I'm not trying to say this saves you. I'm trying to say, God, I want to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there might be different things for seasons of time you abstain from, you fast from. All right, now we're going to move on. Number four is this. So God cares about your body. God dwells in your body. God calls us to discipline our body, right, and its desires. Number four is this. God will resurrect our bodies. And please just stay with me. Our bodies are not evil. Our bodies are not something like, I cannot wait to get out of this body. God actually takes the same body and resurrects it. What if you're cremated? What if you're burned alive? What happens? God made man out of dust once. He'll do it again. We're told that God does resurrect this body. It's the same body yet glorified. Let me just give you a couple verses. It's 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 42. Listen, I love how Paul says this. The body is sown in corruption, sown into the ground, corrupted, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here's what I want you to see. When Jesus died and rose again, was it still Jesus? Absolutely. First John says you cannot deny the physical resurrection of Jesus. If you do, you deny Jesus. Jesus rose again in the same body, but yet he's also glorified. Remember Mary? She's like, who, are you a gardener? Who are you? It was Jesus yet glorified. Jesus appeared in the room where the doors were closed to the disciples. Jesus left the disciples on the road to Maus. He just like teleported away from them. Jesus ascended into heaven. It was his body, but yet glorified and yet redeemed. Here's the idea, guys. Uh, Jesus turned death into a gardener. Death is not something we have to fear. Paul said, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, hell, where's your sting? The idea is we will die. We'll be placed in the ground. But if your faith is in Jesus, he goes, it's a gardener. You go into the ground in dishonor and in corruption, but you come out incorruptible. New body, honor, glory. Just like Jesus had the same body yet resurrected and glorified, same too with us. I don't fully understand this. I don't fully get this. I'm like, what will that be like in heaven? But do you understand that Jesus is in heaven with the body? Do we get that our God is in, Jesus is in heaven with a body? Do we get that you will have a body resurrected? 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about this resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this resurrection of the body. Why I'm bringing this up to you today is we can almost like disregard it. It's not important. It's just going to die. Anyway. But let me just give you this hope that you will have the same body yet glorified without pain. 
without cancer, without disease. That Revelation talks about this as well. That there'll be no more sickness, no more death. That this body will be incorruptible. It was once corrupted, now it's incorruptible. You'll be resurrected not to die again, but to live forever with Jesus. This is the hope we have from just throughout the Bible. Old Testament and New, this promise of the, resurrection bo- the resurrected body. And this is that future and hope that does not disappoint. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 talks about, or 4, 16 says this, we do not lose heart. And he says, though our outward man is perishing, God is renewing the inward man day by day. When you see someone, and we were just back home with someone who's just, you're seeing the suffering, you're seeing the pain, and God's like, I renew the inward man. I'll also redeem that body. Maybe you've seen someone with disabilities or disease. You know, I'm always reminded of that fact that Jesus has promised that he's the resurrection of life, and though you die, if you believe in him, you shall rise. And we have that hope that death is not to be feared. Death is a gardener. I love that. I love that. I'm planted into the ground, but I'll be raised up with a new body, with new life. Amen? Romans 8, 11 says this. If the spirit of, Je- of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same God who rose Jesus from the grave will also raise you and I up from the grave. God has a lot to say about our body. God cares so much about it, he bought it at a price, and he will redeem it and resurrect it. Amen? Let me give you a, our practice for this week. <laughs> what we're going to try to seek to apply, apply this week. Here's, it's simple. Um, take a good nap this week or go to bed early. All right? It's the first thing. Um, if this is the only discipline you do, shame on you. All right? This cannot be the only one. Like, oh, out of all the weeks, I did one of them really well. I, took, I went to bed early and took a nap. But I do want to say this is good. Like Elijah. Think of Elijah. Maybe for there to be spiritual thriving, God's like, your body needs a rest. Uh, I also want to encourage you this. For one day, or you need to start small with one meal. I'm going to say fast from food and drinks besides water. And just replace it with, obviously, prayer and the word of God. I would really encourage you this week not to take this serious. Fast for the sake of God. I'd normally be eating for the next 30 minutes or an hour. I'm going to replace that with your word, with prayer, with singing to you, with worshiping you. And then lastly, and this might not be for everyone, but abstain from alcohol for 10 days. Just... I would say, why not just say, God, maybe this has been a vice in my life. Maybe this has overtaken me in some capacity or some form. Um, I just want to, you know, like, like, like fasting. My flesh doesn't control me. I control it. And so I'd say, maybe you just abstain for a while. H- here's the thing. We're trying to do these not to be good Christians, but we want to experience growth. We want to experience maturity. We want to experience life. We want to take on the way of Jesus, practice the way of Jesus. He took a nap on the boat during a storm. <laughs> he fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. We're trying to take on the way of Jesus. Amen? And I'd say just implement these slowly but surely. Don't just do the first one. I know that's the easiest and best one. But just take these on slowly but surely and just say, God, I ask as I take these on that you would transform me by your spirit. Not that it would be just outward things, but transform me inwardly by your spirit. Amen? Listen, know what we're going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to clap our hands. We're going to stand. We're going to maybe kneel. Whatever it is, we're going to worship right now. All right, so let's pray. And let's just close our time by worshiping our God with our body. Father, we thank you again. You are so good. Uh, God, you've redeemed us. You've bought us. We don't want to just go through the the motions right now. We don't want to just go through what we're used to. We we really do, God, want to honor you. Offer our body up to you as a living sacrifice. God, I pray for purity in this room. For those who are really slaves to addiction, to sex, sexual morality. God, I ask that by your spirit, you would free them. That God, all things they might think, we might say this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. But not all things edify or build. Jesus, I just do pray for just victory in these areas. That you remove hypocrisy from the church, I believe, that's failed often at this, from leadership, that's failed often. God, just give us a victory. God, I just ask that whether it's fasting and just letting not our flesh control us, but just putting it under Discipline it, God, just help us be people that apply your word, that do it. We thank you, Jesus, that you first offered up your body. We thank you that we are right with you because you first gave up your life. We're not trying to do these things to get your love. We have your love, and we just want to do these things. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We want to sing to you now, rejoice in you now. Let our body language communicate the joy that we have in our soul in your wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close our time with some worship.